where you need to monitor something like in that way, you know, well, of good, the- good and minus. Like what I think is if your child comes to you and says, dad, I saw a penis that wasn't circumcised and you're like, oh, gross, get away from me. Then they learn that, that they can't come to you, you know, but if they, if they come to you and say, dad, I saw this and you're like, oh gosh, okay, let's talk about that. Then, then they learn, they can trust you. And that's the process. It is, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be, what did you see restriction? What did you see restriction? Cause they're always going to work around the restrictions. It is time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. conscience. Because this is the beginning, it is not the finale, and that's why we're here, and that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. A way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Do something. I mean, I get it. Like, sometimes I feel like I'm pretty much just fumbling through and somehow I stumble into success. Most of it's right. really just stumbling periods. So. <laughs> when I worked, they called me the human pinball because I would just go to where the general problems were generally at and help solve them and then go somewhere else. Hey, I mean, it's better than being the human wrecking ball. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. I just, I, I take intake so much during the week preparing for this, but then it really comes down to what I see today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh. And how I'm feeling today. And honestly, I make this note because I'm bored. And a lot of times we don't even get to half of the stuff in it. So, and I, I noticed that a lot of the stuff going on this week didn't even make my note. And that's a real shame. You know, everything was Russia, Russia, Russia this week. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want to talk about Russia. I don't, I think everything is as it's going to be in Russia. You know, there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Um, Before we get started, we did have a new episode from Inspirations Beyond Disabilities out, and it was about communication and relationships and, you know, stereotypes and being blind and stuff. And we got a couple of great things out of it, like uh, there's no such thing as forever and don't deal Mm -hmm. in absolutes. And I Mm -hmm. thought those were two really good things to put into the atmosphere you know what i mean that the forever mm-hmm. forever it doesn't exist and i like that and i wanted to just add that like perfection doesn't exist until you accept yourself as perfect you know what i mean that's true i mean yeah. you know and, and and i think that you know this is where it gets fun because yeah. I, I love good i love i love the concept of forever mostly because like people's ideas of forever exist you know kind of center around their existence whether it's their name that's continuing on whether it's you know their bloodline that's continuing on and i'm like you realize that all the sun's got to do is blow up and that is gone right right but 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 what's interesting is is the concept of death is forever death literally ends the universe right like that's it there is no more universe if i die Mm mm-hmm that's so and that's what's 
Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, there was an interview between Larry King and Stan Lee, you know, and, you know, where, where Larry King asked if, you know, Stan Lee believed if there was anything after death and he said, no, he said, right. but what he, but the thing that he struggled to wrap his mind around was the, the fact that everything after ceases to exist. Like there, there is just, you know, it's gone. It's, it's, there's nothing left. And it's, 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 it's a really interesting thought to me, you know, especially as a scientist and realizing that, you know, one of the tenets of science is, you know, the law of conservation of energy, for example, Mm -hmm. energy is neither created nor destroyed. It only changes forms. And so the question is, is, you know, what energy have you put out into the universe? And so, depending on who you are, I would say, by all means, the energy that you have created thus lasts forever. A paradox, if you will. Yeah, yeah, it can be dispersed. Yeah, it's just so interesting. I thought about that this week, actually, that if I died, there would be no more universe. (laughs) And that's just, it goes along with my theory that people are like, who's God? And I say, I'm God. My brain is God because it it allows me to perceive everything. It knows everything I know. It is all things to me. You know, without my brain, I would not exist. Therefore, my brain must be God or at least a transmitter for something. You know what I mean? Right. And, 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 you know, everybody, every religion has a different take on what forever looks like. And, and I, you know, to me, you know, in, in all of it, the one acceptance that people fail to accept is death is the fact that this, this corpor that you have is going to cease to exist. Mm -hmm. And with it all memories that you create are gone as well right but what what religion is for is to indoctrinate indoctrinate your dying brain to believe something as it's dying so that you find peace as your brain runs out of electricity You know, and, and, and everybody, everybody uses that religious doctrine in different ways. Some people mm-hmm. use it to create peace on earth, others not so much. And to me, that's, I think, one of the, the biggest shames is, is when, you know, you have the use of religion as a means of, you know, not just loving your neighbor and treating them with the decency and respect, whether or not you agree with what they do. I mean, let's, let's be real honest. You know, I, I've had a lot of people surround me that I have, you know, almost next to nothing in common with other than we breathe the same air. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have the same hopes and aspirations for, for our, ourselves and our families and all that other fun stuff. But, you know, in, in true, I think in, in the biggest reality is, is that I think all of us want to find peace and a lot of us get completely sidelined by so many different mouthpieces out there telling us what to think, what to believe, how to act, who to vote for, who to, who to support, who to give your money to, who not to give your money to. And all of those things equate to some level of anger and frustration and hatred. And the moment that you decide to let yourself free of that either within a religion or without religion you start to see people become a lot happier and that the expectation is is that you know 
their relationship with their God or, or lack thereof is what gives them the sustenance that they need to be a good person today on this earth. Agreed. Agreed. I think there's a, there's a mindset of conforming and we need to conform because society has certain boxes that they pandered, that they solicit to, that they generate things for, that they create things for, and they don't want to have to create so much diversity. It costs a lot of money. So if they can generalize and homogenize general things for us and we can fit into that box, it's easier for them. But we have the freedom to be whatever we want and pick and choose from what we want. And that's the amazing thing. And I, that's what like this generation is just starting to learn. And I think like Generation X is actually paying attention. I think mm-hmm. the older generation, the baby boomers, they're like, I don't want to deal with that. That's mm-hmm. not fair because I couldn't be diverse. So you shouldn't be either. Keep your mouth shut. But the truth is, is the young people are going to be whatever they want to be. And I just, I, I like the fact that that allows me to be more of what I want to be, you know? Yeah. The Gen Xers are, are finally starting to go, Oh yeah, I guess that whole, you know, it's none of your business thing actually makes a little bit of sense. Right. You know, and I guess, you know, you should be able to do what you want to do. Like my generation kind of started the pioneering of that, <clears throat> you know, the millennials and, and uh, you know, Oh, you know, and the, and the Gen Zers are, right. you know, the millennials are a little bit more open to that. It's like, you know, it's like, we're, we're, we're more understanding of what's happening and we're taking that upon ourselves a little bit more. And and you see that, you see that shift, you know, in terms of many different things. Like, for example, I know a lot of millennial Republicans who absolutely do believe climate change is real. And they do believe in, you know, the fact that we need to set ourselves up on a different energy course, you know, albeit for different reasons than say, right. you know, the, the left wants, you know, to affect climate financial change. stability is a reason to do something just as much as saving the planet. If you can do them both at the same time, that's awesome. Well, and, and, and especially where you have a bunch of people who are, you know, conservationists on that side and they're like, look, you know, if you're telling me that my ability to catch big fish and shoot big deer is about to be affected, that fucks with me and, and, you know, my traditions and my That's right. history. That's right. And, 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 you know, a lot of them have, you know, started, you know, they saw it a little bit with their parents and, you know, they're taking it a little bit more seriously now that, you know, conserving their area of the world actually makes a lot of sense. And, and that's, you know, how I grew up was, you know, the understanding that it's like, look, if I want to be able to do the things that I love to do, I have to take care of the place where I do them. Otherwise I'm not going to get to do them there anymore. Right. And so for, for somebody like me who loves to go hunting, loves, loves, I, you know, I'm not, a, you know, one for necessarily caring much about how big of an antler spread I get, you know, but if there's not enough deer on the land, I'm not going to take anything. And the reason why is because if you can't just keep taking from the land and expect it to keep providing. And what's really funny is, is that even my generation has kind of started to go, oh, so that's what the Native Americans were getting at. <laughs> yeah. The truth is, is if there is no more deer, there is way more coyote. You know what I mean? There's way more predators if there isn't enough uh, food. And yeah, conserving is a, I, I, I tell you all the time I watch ancient aliens, you know, but it's not for the alien stuff. It's where it loses me, but they did a thing on North America and how it was little cities. Like in Illinois, there's a, there's a mound and that, that was like 300,000 people. Like 
there was civilizations here. They just treated the the they treated the planet differently than the Europeans. And, you know, the Europeans were burning through and going through industrial and building boats and you know metallurgies and stuff. And then they came over here and they thought the natives here were doing it wrong. They weren't advanced enough, but they were spiritually. They were more advanced than anyone else on the planet at that time. You know. And now you got a bunch of people that are playing catch up with the idea that, you know, conserving nature and, and, you know, being able to enjoy those fruits later is, is very important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's unfortunate that it's, it's taken us this long to get that figured out, but at the same time too, it's, you know, that's, that's the unfortunate course of human history. And, and we can sit down and, and say, what if, what if, what if, what if, but right. what if doesn't solve the problems of today, unless it's, what if we try this? Right. What I'm weird, what I'm weirded out by is like in the 1970s, uh, Nixon, I mean, conservative men conserving the land, you know, and now Democrats are like preserve our land and Republicans are like deregulate. Let's, let's dig for oil everywhere. Let's frack everywhere. And it's just so weird. Like we both believe in conserving the land, just not at the same time. (laughs) That that kind of messes with me. Like, cause things are just getting worse. We need, we need like Michigan to be as pure as it can be. We don't want chemicals being dumped into that because that's, that's the water. A lot of people drink and, we can't just count on like siphoning out the bad chemicals through the process. We need to start Mm -hmm. preserving what we have. And that's why Biden ending that pipeline going over fresh water and indigenous lands was so dangerous. And why, when he ended it, that was a good thing. You know what I mean? You know, and, and I will say too, that some of those areas, you know, they've done some pretty awesome creative stuff. Uh, Wyoming's going to have a nuclear p- uh, power plant coming online. Tennessee Valley Authority is going to be uh, looking at, uh, I think, creating a few new nuclear power plants as well. And to me, that's exciting because, you know, this is something that we've talked about. And, you know, it's something that we have wished that, you know, the left would pick up on a little bit more is, is that, you know, nuclear has, a, you know, a next to zero carbon output. I mean, you know, the mm-hmm. the the output is, you know, the carbon output comes from the whole mining process. Unfortunately, thorium luckily is a lot more, uh, a lot easier to get to. And so that's, that's one of those ones where, uh, there's a lot of benefits in, in moving towards modernized reactors as a stopgap to getting towards pure renewables, like wind, solar, uh, hydro. So and in, in a nuclear plant, what happens <laughs> is they take uranium rods dip them in water it boils the water which turns turbines right is that how thorium works yeah it's a similar it's a very similar prospect it's just that thorium isn't you know as explosive as uranium is okay but like uranium so, they have to pack in barrels and de- and bury because it's so toxic the spent rods how is that mm-hmm. different with thorium so with thorium breeder reactors, as the elements decay, they break down into different elements. So then they use those different elements to continue to generate steam and turn turbines. And as those break down, they break down into very stable um, and non-radioactive materials. They're like anything, I'm sure that there is some amount of radioactive waste, but it's a lot different compared to you know your typical uranium reactors that we've dealt with. Right. You're just taking the particle radioactive particles, but you're taking all the, uh, 
added stuff away from that. I like that. So you might generate water, you might generate oxygen, hydrogen. There's things that'll come out of that, like natural things that come out of that. And then there's Mm -hmm. that one isotope of radiation that you can easily store somewhere, you know? Well, and, and, and it's a lot less, uh, it's a, it's a lot more stable and a lot less hazardous than uranium is. And that's the difference. And, and that's really one of the biggest differences is, is, is it's about stability. And so, you know, you have something that's very plentiful, you have something that's very stable and, uh, you know, in the short term, it makes sense to be able to use it to get us to net zero. And then from there, get us to other places. I still think that nuclear is going to be a very necessary on-demand resource. You know, as we've talked about, I think that it's going to play a very important role in manufacture of fresh water for, for cities on the coast. I think it's going to be huge. It's going to be very important, especially if you're looking at ways to number one, save fish populations upstream. Number two, save agricultural lands upstream. There's no reason why cities like Los Angeles and Seattle and, you know, Portland can't be generating their fresh water from nuclear energy or, you know, eventually renewables. And, you know, leaving that fresh water up in the mountains and not having to, you know, drain reservoirs the way that they have been in order to ensure that the population has a drinking water source or, you know, um, uh, an arable source of, of water, especially for other agricultural areas. Is that the Israeli model? I'm thinking fisheries. I'm sorry. Like fisheries is another great option because I'm, I'm tired of over fishing our waters and i think we need to clean up our oceans and so stocking food and fisheries with the water that you're talking about i think that's so think, cool is there I, place and, is there places that use thorium because i know france is mainly nuclear like they're they're cushioned from what's going on with russia and the pipeline right now because of right. the nuclear you know right. is, is israel also is i didn't plan on this by the way <laughs> i was, i actually don't know what they're what the nuclear sources are, are right. being used in france or israel um but who is using that, thorium you know um well surprisingly the chinese are actually going to be bringing a bunch of thorium reactors online in order to power their rural areas good that's great so, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's a viable energy source. And they're the biggest consumers of nat- our natural gas and uh, Australia's coal, you know, mm-hmm. like there's 2,500 coal burning plants in the, in the world. And China has over 50% of them, you know? Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and, and that's the thing is, is that realistically, like, you know, getting, getting nuclear power plants stood up has become has been such a process because uh you know using you know uh unstable uh elements physical mm-hmm. elements like uranium and and rightfully yeah. so because you know we've seen what happens when you fuck up with a uranium plant you know we've seen it time and time again and we've seen what happens you know when that nuclear waste gets stored improperly um uh, think of uh Kishtim, the Kishtim disaster in the 1950s mm-hmm. um, the thing about the, that's the thing about uranium is is that it, it has its uses but it is also problematic thorium can have its uses and be a lot less problematic which is cool mm-hmm. i like that okay i'm just thinking my my we're talking about putting solar panels on the house and getting uh you know the battery and all that stuff so that we can yep. continue to upgrade because uh 
our our bills just went up 300% because of some stuff DeSantis was doing. And I was talking to my friend about it and his mm-hmm. friend has um a wind turbine just sitting in his yard. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, he bought it and I was like, we have a giant, we have a half acre. We could just put a turbine up with mm-hmm. the solar panels. And then I mm-hmm. said, and then we could actually connect with our neighbors. Right. And we could have, we could supply them. They could supply us if they decided to do this. And then we would be a little community, a microgrid like Jeffrey and I are talking about, you know, <laughs> like, so, like we've talked about multiple times. And I think that's so cool to actually like take what we talk about in theories and then put it into action like that. That's mm-hmm. so cool to me. We might actually be a microgrid right here in Pensacola. So, Oh, and yes. that's, and that's fantastic. You know, yeah. uh, especially, if, you know, especially if, you guys can, you know, put up enough power wall to where, you know, as you know, you've got plenty of sunshine there. So, you know, I would yeah. say, you know, make sure that if you're going to invest in, in the solar, don't just have it. I, I would say, don't just have it be a stationary solar source. I would invest in, in the, the solar tracking mm. because you'll generate 40 to 60% more electricity. And so that makes that a lot more feasible to be able to share power with neighbors and things like that. I like that, but we are just, um, 18 hours of sun, right? Mm -hmm. Direct, direct. Like it heats my room (laughs) in the winter. So it's so cool. And I I don't know where I was going with that. It's just horrible. So right now, Florida, if you generate electricity, they'll buy it from you or they'll take it from you. And then they, what they'll do is they charge you 10% extra to buy it back. And there was a, there was a thing where they were buying it. Like, I think it was 50 cents on the dollar. They were buying mm-hmm. your electricity and then they were selling it back to you at a profit, which kind of sucked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now they're not even paying you. So a lot of people, they, they want to cut off the grid. They want to go off the grid and supply their own electricity without, because if they're going to supply it and give it to them and then pay 300% more to get it back. They'd rather just keep it and store it in batteries on their own land. And mm-hmm. so I like this. I mean, what, what DeSantis is doing by generating this commission, electricity commission or whatever, that's just more handouts from the electricity companies is, is actually creating self-sustainability because people don't want to deal with it. I think that's right. interesting. being forced because last thing I want to say on it is like electricity they're they're asking for a 25% tax hike from the residents. They're lowering the rates for corporations and they're saying they need this to invest in renewable technologies like solar. But the truth is, is they're also getting subsidies from the government to go solar. So they're raking in the profits right now and they're being deregulated by a commission that DeSantis set up so that they could rape oh, us in the process. You know so what I mean? What, you're saying that the government is profiteering off of people and non corporations mm. in order to advance things that they'll then charge a yeah. premium on say it isn't so but i think the and real... it's a republican government too say it isn't so but i think it's a line that i want people to notice it's a line i think DeSantis crossed like all the rhetoric in the world doesn't change a fucking electric bill that's 300 dollars when it was 75 like and that's oh, yeah. that's affecting everybody and i just think it was something he went too far on and i i can't wait to watch him fall <laughs> hey you know what like we said, you know, if, if this inspires communities to set up their own microgrids and, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, 
say you know fuck the you know fuck the uh fuck the government and fuck the power companies hey yeah. i love a good i love a good fuck the system personally you know i don't i always I, have. I, I don't want to be dependent on it if i don't have to be like i'd rather just live my life below the radar other than like trying to do things and running into obstacles you know so just i'd rather they just stay out of my way like if you're mm-hmm. if you're if you're generating it for free then it's infrastructure you need to build and if you already have the infrastructure there's no reason to charge more rates to expand you know what i mean like especially when you're getting subsidies you should be lowering your rates (laughs) or you know if you're getting subsidies then you should be really throwing that into the production side of things and Uh way you're able to more reliably supply your community well what am i saying right what do i know Oh, culture, culture war, big bird, big bird got vaccinated. (laughs) Big bird got vaccinated. Oh my God. I didn't, I didn't put it in my note, but so Sandy hook won that, uh, case. Right. And they, all right. This is a fun one. A gun manufacturer. And I completely remained uninformed on it so that you could talk about it. Okay. There's a lot of bullshit that's that's happening right now in terms of that ruling you've got the left going oh my god you know the you know this accountability company, this, this company <laughs> has finally been held accountable and we're finally going to see the end of and then you got the right going this is a terrible day because the gun industry didn't do this that and the other and i'm like y'all don't know how how the system works you really don't and it shows and it's right. painful so let's 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 go back in time a little bit do it so what people don't realize is is that the remington remington company um had had gone bankrupt and sold a couple of times and during the course of this lawsuit it went bankrupt and got sold again the company that got sued was called the remington outdoor company and when it went bankrupt and got sued the lawsuit was against the Remington Outdoor Company. So now Remington has become something else, okay? But the suit stayed with the Remington Outdoor Company, which meant that when they went bankruptcy and they sold a bunch of stuff, they had to set up this estate for the Remington Outdoor Company. Now, what happens in this case is, is that you have insurance companies that are managing the Remington Outdoor Company's estate. Right. The Remington Outdoor Company ceases to exist in all functionality. The Remington Outdoor Company has not sold ammunition, firearms in a number of years because it doesn't exist. But these insurance companies have the ability to decide what they're doing. Now, there's a couple of key things that have to be understood about a settlement. Number one, what most people don't understand about settlements is is that it's not about the it's not about the admission of guilt in fact in a lot of cases what you will find in settlements is is that there is no acknowledgement of wrongdoing right but people like to spin it as well they knew that they were going to lose okay that's an idea that's a potential idea sure you can go with that and and i would say that in some lawsuits there that absolutely that absolutely is the case where a company knows that they're about to lose their ass and they know that it's not looking good for them so they settle right but here you have a bunch of insurance companies that are managing the state of a company that's gone defunct 
and rather than continue to spend money on lawyers, you know, and this is where this is where the right gets, you know, all but hurt. They have this idea that you know the that the Sandy Hook group was going to continue to, you know, litigate this into endlessness, and that they would have had the ability to you know bankrupt this this organization because the lawyer that they were using was pro bono. And it's like, okay, look, I've I've worked for lawyers that do pro bono work, okay, and you don't continue to do work on free cases in perpetuity, like you can do free work on cases for a very long period of time. Uh, but there is the understanding that when that case finally settles, whatever it settles for, that lawyer is going to take a giant share of the profits that are the settlement money that comes off of that case. It can be anywhere from I've seen 33% to 60%. Right. That's negotiated with the Sandy hook yeah. group though. Yeah. And so like, I don't know what their percentage rates are. I don't know what was negotiated there, but the idea is, is that the lawyer has taken the risk on themselves that they may only get a hundred thousand dollar settlement out of this case, or they might get a hundred million, you know? And so that's, that's kind of that realm of, we don't know where this is going to end up and having worked on some of those cases, yeah, you hope that you end up in those high dollar amounts because you do put so much time and effort into these cases. And, and some of them really are a passion about doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But in, in other cases, you know, that's, it's one of those things where, you know, for some, it's about doing something that they think is either going to A, give them a big enough name that will then attract bigger cases or B, you know, they really are just out to try and affect that one change. And that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a spectrum or it just blows up and becomes something even bigger than they ever thought it would so here's what happens remington outdoor company as we know is gone the four insurance companies that are managing this particular state have had this case ongoing for a number of years the idea that you know the idea that this this is you know this group of insurance companies or this outdoor company was going to go bankrupt by this lawsuit was literally not going to happen. I mean, the company itself already went and their arms right. manufacturing is, is done somewhere else now. It's just simply changed. Right. The estate, who knows how much money was left in the estate. And that's the real honest truth. And that's liquidating machinery buildings. Um, you know, assets, any number of stocks and, and things then paying like that. paying back the bills and the debts that it owed and then whatever was mm-hmm. left goes into a escrow that the, the company can't touch because it's no longer around and then the insurance companies manage that and then at yep. some point the insurance company had to imagine we're going to spend this much in litigation and we can settle for this much maybe or you know sometimes what ends up happening is is that you know they literally you know they pick a number and they're like you know, we'll settle it for this much because they're spending a bunch of time and money on these cases too. It's not well, bankrupting exactly. them. It's it's not going to bankrupt them. And that's that's the one thing that needs needs to be understood. But at the same time too, it's like they got other shit that they got to spend their time and money on and this right. isn't it. So we and can so, spend a million dollars on our lawyers fighting <clears> their lawyers or we can settle for a million and a half and call it a day, you know? 
Right. And, and, and that's the other thing too, is, is that you also have that, uh, you know, that idea of, you know, what do attorney's fees look like if, if you get awarded attorney's fees, because, mm-hmm. you know, even some attorneys, you know, they'll be able, they'll be able to take the, you know, the, that attorney's fees and turn that into part of the reward, uh, right, part of right. the settlement. And so, you know, literally what ends, what ends up happening here is, you know, at the end of the day, these insurance companies, not, not, a firearms company settled this case and that's the difference and they didn't even really take a hit on it no no they didn't take a hit on it the insurance company settled the case because they're gonna they want to move on to other things right and and while you know you've got a bunch of people thinking that this is going to this is going to change everything. The reality is, is that even in the settlement, what you see written is, is that the, the law that they think that, you know, they've taken it, you know, they, they've taken it to called placa, um, is was quoted by the judge as still the law of the land and ha- that this ruling had no effect on placa. The settlement right. has no effect on it. So even, even the, even the the Supreme Court for Connecticut basically said, "Yeah, you got a hell of an uphill fight, and we're gonna let you take it." But best of luck. Is it because so, they were suing insurance companies and not a gun manufacturer? Is that why they were able to do it? I would say yes. Okay, because there is a law that says you can't. Gun manufacturers are the only product protected manufacturer from lawsuits is something yeah, i heard and it's so that's placa so and, right. and and what that is is um let me look let me look up placa here real quick I, I know there is a law that says you can't sue a gun manufacturer and i just i don't i don't know so protectful like, so it's the protection of lawful car commerce in arms act is what it's called oh, and wow. basically and basically what it does is that gun manufacturers can't be sued for lawful manufacturing processes. So basically it's like, so, so basically what it boils down to is it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's that whole argument of, you know, you know, do guns kill people? Well, I've got five guns sitting in, in my space and they have yet to kill a person, but put a person behind one of those guns that is not in a good space. And that person will kill somebody with one of my guns. Did I make like, did I make the hydric acid perfect yes will it kill somebody yes and so and and and, you know much in the same way it's like well you know spoons and forks and knives don't make people fat i got a ton of them they are not out there just like making people fat but you put me behind that fucking fork and i'm shoveling food in my mouth (laughs) you know and and that's the difference is you know what it boils down to is it sets out a very clear list of regulations that gun manufacturers have to you know abide by mm-hmm. and so if you do anything outside of that law so um this is where i this is where that they were trying to s- sue where the suit was going was is that by remington advertising their guns in video games like call of duty they were targeting advertisements towards kids and i'm like uh that's a tough sell. And that's what, that's what the court said. It's like, look, we'll let you try and make your case, but best of luck. And they're trying to use the cigarette law. You're targeting kids. Essentially. It's like, or the PMRC tagging music thing. 
Right. And so basically what it boiled down to was, is they thought they might have a case that by, you know, somehow, you know, Call of Duty was responsible for a fucking school shooting. And I'm sitting here going, that's a fucking tough sell. I, you know, it's, it's no different than like, you know, back when I was a kid and we had fucking, you know, Mortal Kombat. But, you know, video games cause violence. And I'm like, yeah, because you saw, you know, so many kids running around stealing other people's souls with Shang Tsung's soul-stealing finisher. Oh, right. Yeah. It's like, no, fucking. It's like, look, you know, do I think that, you know, and this is where I'm going to get some people pissed off. Look, here's the thing. Being a parent and having kids it is so easy to want to just give them what they want and placate them. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. Like you want quiet. You want them to leave you alone. Sometimes you want them to stop fucking whining. But the reality is, is that when you give them things that are literally rated for mature audiences, don't be surprised that they develop unrealistic expectations around some of those things like look none of us were learning fucking kung fu by playing mortal Kombat. in fact a bunch of us just looked like awkward dipshits trying to like fucking high kick and falling on our asses none of us were ever connecting with you know you know actually doing these things properly and the few people who were like this is really interesting i want to go on and learn this went and learned karate taekwondo various martial arts and were very much disciplined in what they did because they learned very quickly. It's like, this is meant to hurt people and there is no, there is no reset button. And, and, and very much the same when it comes to firearms, like I wouldn't let the kids play shooters when they were younger. And the reason why is because it's not for them. You know, these games are rated mature. Like I needed them to understand very clearly and very easily that, Playing shooters is fun, absolutely, but you need to understand that there is no respawn. And that the moment you pull that trigger, you're never taking that back. And they're old enough to do that now. They understand that, and that's perfectly fine. And if you think that it's going to, if you think that, you know, video games are going to cause violence, I don't. You know what I think causes, you know, causes violence among kids? Parents not fucking checking in on their kids. Parents not paying attention to what's going on with their children. Parents not getting their kids the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Parents being unable to get the ki- the help that the kids need. And there's a lot going on there. But the moral of the story is, is that if you don't pay attention to your kids, don't be surprised when they turn out like a shithead. And if yeah. you can't get your kids help when you know that they need it, it really sucks as a parent because you're doing everything that you can and there is just no help available to you. And so you have these really fine lines that you have to walk and this ruling did next to nothing. It didn't change any laws. It didn't change anything at all. I think it's rated mature because you need to teach a child the life lessons of the fantasy world. And I don't think you can teach a child at a certain age, things that are inappropriate for that age. So what I'm thinking about is like what we talked, what you just said, there's a, there's a reality to porn that isn't reality. Like kids Mm -hmm. are learning how to have sex from porn 
And therefore they think what they see on porn is reality. And since they're imitating it, it becomes reality. But the truth is, is that real sex is something different. And so when you were Mm -hmm. talking about that with video games, I'm thinking it's the same thing. There's more mature conversations that you need to start beginning to have with a child going through puberty that they won't understand before that. And Mm -hmm. violence, fantasy, sex, that's all of the after puberty kind of lessons but you need to Mm -hmm. if you give your child something what you're doing is giving yourself the responsibility to make sure they understand it for what it is you're not giving Mm -hmm. a child something so they go away you're giving a child something so that now you have to pay more attention to them for a certain amount of time and that's Mm -hmm. what the kid the parents are learning as they fight court cases in Michigan because they weren't responsible when they gave their child a gun. They didn't teach him the lessons. They didn't come closer. Bingo. They, they divided from here. Here's your gun. Go away. And guess what? He learned his lessons on his own from what he saw and what was around him. And if that's a shooter game, then he suddenly thinks that's reality. Like a kid sees porn for the first time and thinks, Oh, choking a woman and punching her is normal. You know? Never mind the fact that you have to have so many conversations about what is and isn't acceptable. You have to talk about consent, you know, what, what consent is, what removal of consent means. The fact of the matter is, is that so many parents have given their kids all of these tools and none of the explanations on how to use them. And then they get fucking shocked when Mm -hmm. this kid does something terrible. And, and I don't know what to tell you. It's, you know, give your kid a flamethrower and find out what happens something bad guaranteed give him a flame flow flamethrower and then make him watch jackass for two days and see what he does with it or give him a flamethrower and take him out with uncle whatever and go have fun with the flamethrower and learn how to use it and then see how he uses it it's it's you have to tell your kid how to use it. You can't just give it to them and say, go find out how to do it on the internet. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like for me growing up with a BB gun and a 22. Oh God, they're a lot of fun to shoot. Absolutely. Yeah. So much fun to shoot plinking pop cans and old coffee cans. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, then, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now you know how to shoot. And then the first time you kill something, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. That's what this does. And there's a lesson of responsibility. And if you had learned that on your own, you might've gotten a different take from it. Or if you had learned it by hanging out with your friend that likes to abuse animals, you would have taken something different away from that. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is, is that, you know, so many parents want to absolve themselves of the responsibility of, of what they didn't teach their kids that they yeah. then move to try to blame somebody else for the shit that they didn't do. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have the mental health issues, the mental health issues are there. And if you're not, you have to be proactive in those, you have the duties of the parent to be present and actually teach your kids some of this stuff. And when they're not there and and there's, you know, you, you've got a couple of different issues at hand here. You've got parents that are just, you know, emotionally unavailable. They're not willing to do this stuff with their kids. They're not willing to have these talks. They never had the experience themselves. And, and, and thus they propagate the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, or, or in other cases, you have parents that can't be around because they're too busy working two and three jobs That's right. in order to keep the family, you know, from living on the street and, you know, going hungry at night. And so you have all you have, like, I'm, I wish that this issue could just simply be black and white, mm-hmm. but you also have to understand, you know, that 
what you allow your kids to have access to, you have to teach them how it is meant to be accessed and you have to have, you know, weird conversations (laughs) and otherwise don't be surprised when something bad happens and you don't get to blame somebody else. You don't get to blame, you know, another parent, you don't get to blame an organization like the school. You don't get to blame some company. You don't get to blame a whole lot of things. There are cases where absolutely it's got to be, you know, that the companies are going to be blamed. You know, when you look at the way that cigarettes were marketed, you know, they they made them look cool for kids to do. Hell yeah. And that was and that was guilty enough. I what else are you gonna, that. What, what else are you going to do? You're going to market your product the way you market your product. Targeting kids is bad, but initially you're just trying to get your product sold, you know. Right. And, and Remington wasn't putting out ads for call of duty. That's right. the thing. And they were Remington, making, they were making their guns to spec. I wanted to catch on because you talked about the fork. If somebody manufactured fork forks where a tine or two fell off while you were using them, they would get sued. Right. And exactly. so Remington was making the product correctly. If they had, if they had cheaped out on it and used guns that exploded, they would get sued for it. Right. And that's, and that's just it, Uh, you know, or, or if they had, if they had, you know, made marketing materials for call of duty showing, you know, like I, I, like, I, I would say like, think of like a, you know, the nineties kids montage where, you know, the kids go out and they do something cool. And then all of a sudden there's the product, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, the kids are out there and they're acting like they're all military and they're playing with their Remington Bushmasters and their Remington ACRs and they're going pew, 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 pew. And you're watching, you know, bad guys go flying around and dying. And then all of a sudden it's back to, you know, here are these kids holding these guns and, you know, you know, and they're like, yeah, Remington, as you've seen in Call of Duty. Oh God, something like that would never fucking fly. But that's not what you saw at all. The argument was because it existed in a video game that you could say that you know they were marketing to kids but where that to me falls flat on its face is is that call of duty isn't marketed to kids it's a mature game they're not allowed to market to kids that way but because they think that you know every you know every video game that exists has to be for kids because it's a video game that somehow that means that they're marketing to kids it's like what the you know that that's like saying every fucking movie that's ever been made with an R with an R rating that's had an advertisement is being marketed to kids. No, it's not. It's they literally start rated M for mature for a reason. Kind of like you know a movie preview says rated R restricted audiences. You can't or that sit down and popcorn lo- dancing right. And you cannot logically sit down and say that this move that this game is being marketed to kids because they've done all of the marketing stuff the way that they're supposed to mm-hmm. say that hey this is restricted it's meant for mature audiences only and so like honestly had had this been had this been a a living gun company that was going up against this case would they've had to continue fighting it i would say yes would they have won i would say yes because I don't think they had a leg to stand on. And the idea that because something is a video game, it's meant for kids is a logical fallacy, especially right. when you're putting requirements on who can buy it. kids. Can't just go out and buy call of duty. Right. Believe it or not. 
kids can't go out and buy it. Now you can, there's any number of ways to get around that. I mean, hell, mm-hmm. my generation was the one that figured out that, Hey, if you got a friend who's a senior in high school, you can get that parental advisory sticker CD. Right. Me too. Yeah. It's like, he's like, yeah, it's 10 bucks. I'll get it to you. I'll buy it for you for 15 bucks. <laughs> here's here's a 20. Go get me my CD. Now we just buy it online with our parents' credit card. It doesn't really matter. With there's our parents' things, credit card and our are... parents are like, oh, God damn it. I don't want to have to. So I'll just set you up as, as an adult. And then they're like, oh, my God, my kid bought something that was meant for adults. Well, did you set your kid up as an adult on their profile? Yeah, because it's, well, there you go. Right. But did you set your child up to be an adult in life? Thanks. I know children that have learned hard ass lessons and they are more adult at the age of 13 or 14 than people I know that are 60 that never learned a lesson, you know, seriously. And that's the truth. What, when your kid falls, they learned a lesson. You're there to help them through that. Right. But if your Mm -hmm. kid falls and you're not there, they learn their own lessons from that. And you don't know what Mm -hmm. those lessons are, but you, you need to teach your kids. You need to be there for your kids. And that's tough in this world, in this society, when there's so many Mm -hmm. excuses not to do it. Absolutely. There's, Mm -hmm. there's so many excuses not to do it. And, you know, some of those excuses are born out of necessity and Mm -hmm. that's really unfortunate. And, and, and that's a problem in and of itself. And that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. But at the same time too, you know, you, there's still a level of responsibility you have to have and making sure that your kids are not accessing materials that, they're not allowed to. Like I told my kids, it's like, look, you know, you have access to any number of things. You've got a phone that has a Wi-Fi connection that has Google on it. I'm not monitoring what you're looking up. Right. But I'm trusting you to come to me when you have a question. Yeah. And here's, and the reality is, is, is that if I don't trust you, I'm not just going to like restrict your Wi-Fi. I'm taking the damn thing away, period. End of story. Right. And, and but who wants to live in a world where you need to do that, where you need to monitor something like in that way, you know, well, of good, the- good and minus. Like what I think is if your child comes to you and says, dad, I saw a penis that wasn't circumcised and you're like, oh, gross, get away from me. Then they learn that, that they can't come to you, you know, but if they, go, if they come to you and say, dad, I saw this and you're like, oh gosh, okay, let's talk about that then. Then they learn they can trust you and that's the process. It is. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be, what did you see? Restriction. What did you see? Restriction. Because they're always going to work around the restrictions. Public Access America. It's always funny because like, Especially because as you know, libertarians, we get a ton of shit, even amongst other libertarians. I think political philosophy is a lot like religion, and where there's moments you have to go on faith and trust what somebody else is saying. The main, the main focus is it's like less dependence on the government because, well, we've seen how that's gone. And you don't have to do that if you think about it in a human way. You know, more dependence on connections with each other. But you can always bring it back to what would one human do for another? What would a hundred do for a hundred? People looking out for people. Find Public Access America anywhere you find your favorite podcast every Sunday and Thursday. And join the chat on YouTube at Public Access America every Sunday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Communities looking out for community. Public Access America. History in the making, making history in the making, in the making, in the making. And and let's be real honest. Let's you know, all of us were in high school once, and we know what uh-huh. fucking high schoolers talk about. 
I mean, you know, granted, like, you know, the, the conversation right now, you know, is different from when I was a kid. I mean, of I'm course. sitting here going, I'm sitting here going, you know, we've, I've got one kid who, who's like every Wednesday, it's like, you know, what are we doing for dinner? Well, it's Wednesday. So we eat ass on Wednesdays and I'm going, holy shit. What the, f-? where did that <laughs> it, come from? Right. And it's like, you know, damn good and well, it's like they're what they're seeing on the internet, what their friends are fucking saying at school. And you can either be like freaked out about it and like, you know, uh-huh. oh my God, you can't hang around those people. I'm taking away your phone and blah, 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 blah. Or you can be like, <clears throat> okay, that's actually kind of funny. Right. Listen, we do not eat ass on Wednesdays because we are a family and families don't eat each other's ass. Right. <laughs> or it's all right to eat ass with consent. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Ass, you know, eat ass with consent and a shower. Yeah. Take a shower before you eat ass. Well, that's what I'm saying. You need to learn the situation before you jump into it. Like choking and punching. I mentioned that before as out of bounds. It isn't out of bounds. If you've had that conversation and if mm-hmm. you've had that education, it sounds so stupid, but there's a right way to choke somebody and you can really hurt somebody. If you just randomly go into the throes of sex and decide randomly one day you want to choke somebody, you could really hurt them. <laughs> uh huh. So, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's so much for people to learn and yeah. The question is, is are you so going to have those conversations? There is. And, and the question is, is are you going to have those conversations with your kid openly and as mm-hmm. they come up, or are you going to let your kids figure it out on their own? Because let's be real honest. You know, my experience with the, the sex talk was my dad was like, oh, fuck, here's a magazine and here's the Playboy channel. You'll figure it out from there. Mm. And meanwhile, 12 year old me stayed up fucking beating it all fucking night long. And when he got up at six o'clock in the morning, I hadn't gone to bed yet. <laughs> my first sex talk was with my first partner. Hey, you know, and, and, and that's it. You know, everybody has a different experience. And mm-hmm. the question is, is, you know, what sort of healthy things did you eventually learn afterwards? You know? We all have different in introductions and experiences. And the question, you know, becomes, how are you going to deal with this? Like, uh, for example, uh, you know, menstruation for, uh, this is a great one. I have f- five sisters essentially. And, um, you know, I've had multiple step moms. I have my mom. I have two, I have, I have a couple of kids. I have spouse. I, I have, I've literally been surrounded by menstruation my entire life. Yeah. And, and the reality, it's a reality, you know, you can sit down, you can ground, fuck off. it's, it's, it is what it is. But if you don't have that talk with people and, and talk about how, you know, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's a fact of life. You can mm-hmm. be grossed out by it all you want. But that just makes you a fucking dick. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's, it is what it is and you deal with it. And so when the topic comes up, it's not, I'm not going, oh my God, how can you talk about this in front of me? It's fucking disgusting. But it's like, well, yeah, all right. I never thought function. about it. Yeah. I had a partner and she was like, well, I use a cup. And I was like, what's a cup? And she's like, you just insert it and then it collects everything and you dump it out. And I was like, that's so cool. And she's like, it is. And I was like, I didn't know they had those and she pulled it out and she was showing it to me. And I was like, that's so cool. And then I saw it on the counter and I was like, Oh, okay. I know what time it is. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. And, and so, you know, you can have, you can have these conversations in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly 
these, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable when you have some of these conversations at first. Let's be real honest. Of course. Because, because, you know, it's the, this sort of stuff is always a little awkward to talk about, but it's normal. It happens regularly. And, you know, being awkward about it the first time, Hey, cool. I get it. You know, we're all, we all are, we all find ourselves in a position where we're like, Oh shit, I've never had to deal with this before. I've never had Uh to talk about this before. This feels weird. But by having those conversations and normalizing those conversations, suddenly you're like, Oh, okay. Well, Hey, Uh we know what's up. It's, you know, I would say that it's no different than, you know, for example, having, you know, a family member come out as gay. Yeah. It's going to be awkward the first time you talk about it because let's, let's be real honest. Most people aren't going to have much experience, you know, with, you know, anything gay, you know, you're the trailblazer on a a, a very personal level, but that doesn't mean that, you know, that doesn't mean that it's not normal. And that doesn't mean that it's not acceptable. What it means is, is that it's awkward for you because you've never had to talk about it in a very personal and connected way. And Mm. after you have those conversations, you can either be freaked out about it and be an asshole or you can be like oh cool okay well you know hey yeah you know whatever it's like you know from you yeah. know i just- used to i used to be the guy that was that pretended to know like i would be like yeah 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 i get it i know i know but i didn't get it and then mm-hmm. one day i just learned and somebody said something to me and i was like i don't know anything about that tell me more and that's where I changed. Yeah. Right. You're either the guy that fakes it until you make it or the guy that asks the questions and you're there in half the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I do. And and that's the thing is, is like, you're never going to understand everything. That's the, the like, yeah. I'm never going to understand menstruation in, right. in every single possible realm. Like it's just not going to happen. I'm never going to understand Mm-mm. being like you know, being somebody who is trans. I'm never going to understand being somebody who is, uh, completely gay and it's you know that's just that is just life in and of itself you can never fully truly understand something but you can learn and you can understand just enough to be a decent human being to yeah. people in any particular class plus it doesn't I, matter if i have something gross i have a question about i want to be able to go to somebody you know, it's not just women having mm. menstruation issues. It's men having other issues and they want to talk to somebody about that too. And how do I expect to talk to somebody about my gross issue? If I can't accept the fact that other people have gross issues too, like, know? like, you know, especially as aging men, you know, one of the things that we're going to have to, you know, that we all start to have the conversation about, and maybe not necessarily out in the open is, Hey, you get a finger in the ass yet. Yeah. You know, it luckily think, you know, some things have changed and they don't necessarily need to put a finger in the ass anymore, but there are, but they, but they still do put a finger in the ass and occasionally it's with both hands on their shoulders. Sometimes it's a nose. Sometimes it's like a face. They're like trying to get up in there. Yeah, I know. It always tickles when there's a beard involved. (laughs) I know. I don't know. I, I had it done and it literally the guy used like a cord of lube and poked his to the tip of his finger and like, he didn't want to do it. And I didn't want to be there. And my ex-wife was <clears> watching <throat> the whole time. <laughs> it was horrible, just a horrible experience. And I mean, when, and, and when you're blind and have to have somebody take you to the doctor, they feel like the need to go in. You don't need to go in. <laughs> right. It's like, like, do you want me to go in? No, nah, this is going to be awkward no. for two of us. I don't need it to be awkward for three of us. Great. Cool. I will see you out in the right. lobby. You know, and that's the thing is, is that, you know, 
everybody's going to have some of these fucking weird experiences. And, and, you know, if my generation, my parents didn't talk about a lot of this stuff, right. They left, they, us guess- to- they left us guessing, you know, but luckily, you know, in some cases I've had, you know, I've gotten to have some conversations, you know, let's be real honest. Colonoscopies are going to be a thing for people as they get older. You got to get your asshole checked out make sure that, uh, everything's round in the corner just right. Otherwise, you know, cause yeah. You know what a colonoscopy is? It's a nap. And then another half a day of where you don't have to do anything but lay in bed. You don't know. You fart a little. You know what I mean? Oh, I've had three of them. Mine have have been like, uh, you know, a nap. Well, one of them actually killed me, but, you know. Mm. Yeah, I've had two. Two? Three? I've had three. Uh, The second one actually stopped my heart because it gave me too much anesthesia. Wow. That was that was. Yeah. So that one wasn't fun. Uh, but, uh, it's a nap and then it's a huge fart and then it's a sandwich and then you finally come out of it and then it's a trip to the pizza hut buffet and yep. fucking scarf it down, dude. Yeah. But they are accurate that the, the process to clean yourself out is brutal. Oh, I, could, geez. I couldn't drink all that stuff. Oh, you know, I couldn't get a hold of my doctor to find out how to take it. So I just started drinking that stuff. Oh, now there's pills, I guess you can take. Oh, that'd be nice. Thank God I mean, for that because, advancement. God, that that shit was fucking brutal. That that shit was fucking hard. Drinking a gallon yeah. of that shit is just yeah, awful. It's like salty Gatorade, salty lemon Gatorade. <laughs> oh yeah, and it don't even actually fucking taste like lemon. It it tastes like Lacroix smells, but yeah. not fizzy and super right. salty. That's and, uh, the only way that I know how to describe it is like very liquidy Lacroix semen. Yes, I was gonna say semen. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> terrible and you're just like Whoa! you're just like choking this shit down right i mean i don't know if it tastes it. like semen thank you I don't for know. listening thank you for listening to public access <laughs> america by the way <laughs> to those who will tear the world down we will defeat you this is our moment this is our time to those who seek peace and security we support you yes we can and to all those who have wondered if america's beacon still burns as bright Tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome, welcome to public access America. Yes, we can. Sunday live streams on YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Stitcher Smart Radio, 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 Radio,
Public Access Public America. Access history, America. In history, history in the making, making history in the making. Credit card bill. 